0: Well, good morning. Grab your Bibles and open to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 25 through 30 this morning. Uh, We will back up to get a running start there. Um, So if you'll back up to uh, verse 22, we'll start our reading there. But before we get into the sermon... um, when you were coming in every family or uh, if you're a single person was given this article from boy to man the marks of manhood uh, sometimes it's called the 13 marks of manhood an article by uh, Dr. Al Mohler president of the Southern Baptist uh, Seminary um, there in Louisville Kentucky uh, this is a great, a great article uh, I started using this years ago when I was pastoring at Hope Chapel uh, discipling young men when we started this church ten years ago, we for a couple of summers we had a a, a thing we called the Timothy Project where we discipled young men, and we use this as part of that. And now the the men's training center uh, uses uses this as well. So as we consider what it is to be a husband, uh, one of the things that came to my mind was was what does it mean to be a man? Okay, what does it mean to be a man, a biblical man? And we're about uh, biblical manhood here and biblical womanhood. Uh, the culture we know is. Tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of of doctrine, and we want to be grounded in what it is to be truly a a man. And so I would I would encourage you um, over the next this week or over the next few weeks to to use this as part of your family worship uh, to sit down with your uh, young men and women, and women should read this as well because. Uh, I think most women here are looking for a man at some point, right? Looking for a man to marry. We need to know what it, what it means to be a, a biblical man. So, so I just commend that, commend that to you, and that's for your, for your reading. All right, that said, we're looking today at Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 22. Uh, this is the Word of God. Uh, we always say this, and we mean it. This is the very Word of God. To believe this word is to believe God himself. To disobey this word is to disobey God himself, for it is his word. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she, represents, that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We're grateful that you have seen fit to, to condescend to us, to, to, to explain what it is that you desire of us. And now, as we open our word and we, and we read the, the Bible that is in our laps, Lord, may you illumine this passage by the power of your spirit. Lord, especially for the husbands of this church, we pray that you help us to understand what there is here for us. Lord, that you would have us to be humble and open and pliable. Lord, would you melt the heart of stone of any husband who is embittered or hardened toward his wife. Because that is just a result of him being hardened toward you. Lord, soften us this morning, we pray, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in my role as pastor over many years, I have officiated over a number of weddings, and I've attended a lot more, just as you have. And we know how it all goes. We're all waiting. The hubbub of the crowd is waiting, waiting in anticipation. At some point, the music starts. And usually, as our culture, we stand and we turn and the bride enters. And she is always glorious. And there's always, even, even at that moment, there's, there's maybe a tear already begins to be shed as you see her walking so beautifully down the aisle. And I enjoy seeing the bride, but I really like to watch the groom. I look at that young man, and usually you see on his face, you, you never see the look of, is that all? <laughs> it's a look of, of, of joy, a look of wonder, a look of, of, of rapture. And I often wonder, as I'm watching him, or in the times when I've been preaching to him as his pastor, does he have any idea what he's getting into? No, he doesn't. As a man who's been married almost 38 years, I would say no. Does he understand what is, what is being called of him? Does he understand the challenges that he's going to face? Does he understand the suffering that he will go through? Does he understand how to truly love a wife and to truly be a husband? And the answers to those questions are, are really really no he does not understand he cannot see what is what is ahead of him and uh, ahead of him or what is before him but i do know this that because that young man is a believer a born again believer in Jesus Christ then he does have help doesn't he he has the indwelling holy spirit to help him through these times and through these challenges the holy spirit has been given to him by his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's the one who he has to look to, doesn't he? He has one to look to, one to fix his eyes on, one who is an exemplar to every husband who has ever said, I do. Are you a husband? Do you desire to be a husband? Are you a young man or just a boy and wonder what it means to be a husband? Are you a single woman looking to be married to a godly man? Are you a wife who's now married and desires to know what it is that her husband should be really biblically? Then we turn now to where the answers are for us. The answers for us and all these questions are contained within the Word of God and especially today in the book of Ephesians. And we look at the, the words here from the Apostle Paul and from his inspired pen. So we're going to ask today of this text five questions. I know your your notes have four questions. I thought of one more. (laughs) So so that's a pastor's prerogative, I guess. Here are the five questions. First, what what is a husband? Second, what is a husband's mission? How is the husband to accomplish his mission? What is the result of accomplishing his mission? And the extra bonus question today what does it mean for a husband to love his wife as his own body? So let's get started. Our first question, what is a husband? Paul starts in verse 25 by simply saying, husbands. He addresses this to the married men of his congregation. Husbands. It may, be, it may seem strange to start our sermon with this question. What is, an, what is a husband? I mean, come on, Pastor Kevin, isn't that obvious? Doesn't everyone know what a husband is? The answer is, is simply and profoundly no. It is not obvious to the prevailing culture. And not everyone today living knows what a husband actually is in this day and age. As I mentioned before, uh, the culture is being tossed back and forth. And, and there are those who are, who are not even just ignorant, but are, who are aggressively going against definitions of, of male and female and husband and wife. So here's my definition For this sermon, as we define terms, a husband is an adult male who is covenantally bound for life to a woman as her head for the purpose of procreation, provision, protection, and proclamation. A husband is an adult male who is covenantally bound for life to a woman as her head for the purpose of procreation, provision, protection, and proclamation. The word husband is ontological. It is an ontological description. It's a, it, it's a description of being. A husband has husbandness. It's an ontological description, a description of being. So, so this is a a pulpit or a lectern. This pulpit has pulpitness. Okay, I can call this microphone a pulpit. All day long. I can say, let's all change the definition, and we're gonna call this a pulpit. That doesn't make this a pulpit. This has pulpitness. A husband is an adult male who is covenantly bound for life to a woman for her head. Because of this deep reality, two women cannot decide to partner and one choose to be the husband. It's impossible. There are women, they are women, and their biological reality is fixed. By their designer. Because of this deep reality, two men cannot decide to partner and be husbands. A husband's reality and position can only be realized when he is covenantally, covenantally bound to a wife, which is a biological adult woman. Just as a man cannot be a father without children, a man cannot be a husband without a wife. Okay, so let's stop and just think about that for a minute. I mean, it it seems so simple to us, right? It's it's on the face of it, right? It's prima facie, Pastor. Yes, we know that, but let's decide to to think about that for a moment. A man, a single man can't say, I've decided today that I'm a father. Where are your children? (laughs) Do you have children? No, I don't. Well, you're not a father. To to be a father, you must have children. The same thing is true of, of someone who decides, I'm a husband, I'm just deciding I'm a husband. You and me, we're going to be husbands. No. A husband must have a wife. He is defined by by who he is married to in the covenant of marriage. This all goes back to the beginning. Genesis 1, 26-28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So all of this is, is, is bound up in the creation order, in God's good design. And it is good God himself says, after, after this creation, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then finally, he says, after the creation of mankind in his own image, male and female, he says, it is very good. It is very good. So, th- so as a husband, you are also bound by covenant in my definition. Bound by covenant. Jesus, when uh, being asked by uh, Pharisees at the beginning, they're asking him about, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 19, asking him about, Divorce, Jesus says this Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let non man let not man separate. Marriage is a covenantal uh, binding together that is overseen by God himself. The sovereign God of the universe is the one who puts a man and a woman together in holy matrimony. Uh, This has come together also for the purpose of procreation. Okay, in verse 28 of Genesis, he says, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living thing that moves on the earth. Uh, This is one of the... I often joke when pastors ask me about how how your church is going. How's it growing? And I say, this is the one verse we take very seriously. Be fruitful and multiply, right? I just heard this morning of two more uh, babies on the way. So praise God for that, right? Praise God for that. uh, Marital intimacy is good, and a delight and to be relished. If you don't understand this, you haven't read the Song of Solomon, okay? It's good, marital intimacy. But marital intimacy is not just for recreation. Hear me now. It's not just for recreation, it is for recreation. The purpose given to us by God is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth because God desires for the earth to be covered with His image. And one of the jobs of a faithful husband with his wife is to create little image bearers. God likes his image and he desires his image to cover the face of the earth. This is why the whole uh, overpopulation stuff is really satanic. This is why we want to have, you know, mankind is what's wrong with the planet. Let's get rid of man. What's at the heart of that? What's at the base of that? What's foundationally being taught there is, is, that, is that we don't like God's image. Let's get rid of God's image, and how can we get rid of it? You have God's image, and so do you, and you, and you, and you. Humans have God's image. Let's get rid of humans, because they have God's image. But God desires to have His image spread. The prophet Malachi prophesies against Judah for profaning the covenant of Yahweh. And one of the ways that they were doing this was not staying true to the covenant of marriage and the wives of their youth. Here's what Malachi 2.15 says. Malachi prophesies, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? He's talking about a man and a woman being married. And what was the one God seeking? Think about it. What was the one God seeking? Fill in the blank. Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Douglas Wilson states this, God tells us plainly, here, that one of the purposes of marriage is procreation. Further, if it is a godly marriage, it should be godly procreation. God has said that He wants godly offspring. The prophet Malachi states, as a means to that end, the importance of treating wives with honor. If a man is treacherous to his wife, it will clearly have a negative effect on the children. God, Godly children are not said to give purpose to parenting, but rather they are a purpose of marriage and so procreation is one of the, one of the duties of, of a godly husband and our definition of, of what it is to be a husband. Provision, provision, another one of our definitions here. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Who is, clo- who is a closer relative than a man's wife? God has given the husband the responsibility to provide for his family and especially for his wife. That is a husband's duty. He also has the provision of of, of headship or leadership, and we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, Next, we see protection. Protection, 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 3. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Because of what? Because of sexual immorality, sexual temptation. Uh, if, if, if you cannot be single and stay pure to your God, then you should be married. It's, it's plain and simple. And so that's one of the reasons that God has given us marriage. And one of the one of the aspects of what it is to be a husband. And finally, proclamation in our definition. Proclamation. Ephesians 5:31, 32 says this: Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So, here we'll get here uh, next week when Pastor Jeff preaches on this section. Uh, this, this mystery is profound. Marriage itself is given to us as a shadow, as a, as a mirror of, of the profound and, and real and true and better marriage of Christ and His church. And so, husbands, when you love your wives as Christ loves the church, you are saying to the world, this is how Jesus treats His bride. Okay, hear me now. This is how Jesus treats His bride. So, so we, when we are, are, are in, in godly marriages... That honor Christ, that they're full of the Holy Spirit, that honor God, then God Himself is glorified. And this is something that's so true, and especially for those of you who are yet to be married, the the end goal for your marriage, your, your marriage is not primarily about your domestic bliss. Your marriage is not primarily about your happiness. Your marriage is not primarily about your happiness. Your marriage is not primarily about your happiness. It is about the glory of God. It is about the glory of God. And guess what? For those of us who love the Lord and and, and desire Him and delight in Him, guess what? When you glorify God in your marriage, you will be happy. You will be happy. All right, so we could say it this way, robbing from the catechism. The chief end of marriage is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of marriage is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we said, number one, what is a husband? That was all number one. A husband is an adult male who is covenantally bound for life to a woman as her head for the purpose of procreation, provision, protection, and proclamation. So here's our next question. Number two. What is a husband's mission? What is a husband's mission? Back in our passage here, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. That is your mission. This is an imperative. It's a command. It is coming from our commanding officer. If you have signed up to be a husband, if you have said, I will, or if you have said, I do, then your job, your job, your mission is to love your wife. You are ordered to love your wife. You are commanded to love your wife. That is what you are to be about. And that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us right here. Husbands, love your wife. Let's first stop there for a minute and just take husband's love. Uh, the theologian Honer says this about love. The word here translated love is used six times in this passage. It refers to love... Irrespective of merit. It refers to love irrespective of merit, even to the undeserving. A husband's love for his wife is to be an ongoing process. Thus, in the context, husbands are to love their wives even when they seem undeserving and unloving. In other words, a husband's love is to be unconditional unconditional. Its intent is to seek the highest good in the one loved. In the same way that Paul's directions to the wife is to submit to her husband or to respect her husband, she can't cross her arms and say, well, look, look, hey, I'll respect you when you're respectable. All right, buddy, you start being respectable and I'll respect you. That's not, what scripture, that's not what Scripture commands. That's not how we're instructed. And the husband is not to say, well, look, honey, when you start being lovable, I'll love you. But until you start being lovable, uh-uh, no, no love ain't coming your direction, all right? I think that's a country song. No love ain't coming your direction. Wait, so, so no, no. A husband's love is not dependent upon his wife's response. A husband's love is not dependent Upon his wife's response. Love here is a verb. Love is a verb. And if you remember your elementary grammar, a verb is an action word. Okay, a verb is an action word. Love is not devoid of emotion, but it's not ruled by it. Love is not devoid of it, it's not ruled by it. Biblical Christian love comes from an act of, a, of, of the will, and emotions often follow. Falling in love is, is more akin to sappy love songs on the radio than biblical love. Falling in love. Uh, like uh, the Pure Prairie League back in, and there's, let's see, raise your hand if you remember this song, back in 1967, a very popular song. Uh, Pure Prairie League sang this. I'm not going to sing it, but he says, More than I can feel and touching what is real. All my mind is reeling around because Carolina's feeling down today, falling in and out of love with you. Falling in and out of love with you. Don't know what I'm going to do. I keep falling in and out of love with you. I think it was my grandmother who said, you fall into a lake. Okay? You choose to love, right? And so, and so the world's view, though, if you listen, and I, you know, I'm sure that Beyonce or someone has a very similar song to this or whoever the latest uh, uh, you know, teen idol, teeny bopper singer, uh, but falling in love. You know, oh, I've fallen in love. Oh, I'm falling out of love oh, I'm falling in love. Or you hear some, some, some actor on, being interviewed on TV or something, and they're, they're like, well, they don't, they're, they're going to get a divorce. Why? Because, um, you know, I, I don't love her anymore, right? I, I don't love her anymore. My response to that is, love her. Love her. I, I don't love her. No, you love her. You love her. It's an action, Brothers, don't look around and say, oh, I just don't feel love for my wife. You know why you don't feel love for your wife? Because you're not loving her. The reason you don't feel love is because you're not loving. You love your wives. Love. Love self-sacrificially like our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Paul has established this responsibility of, of wives to their husbands he says wives are to submit to their own husbands. Uh, so let's, let us me back up here and say this again. When he says husbands love your wives, it really corresponds to what Paul said regarding wives. Wives are to submit to their own husbands. And as Kenny uh, preached to us a few weeks ago, uh, my wife is, is not called to submit to every man. She's called scripturally to submit to her husband. And the same thing is true of husbands loving their wives. The word here is is specific to their own wives. Husbands, love your own wives. Of course, we're commanded as brothers and sisters to love each other, right? But that kind of special, unique, intimate, familiar affection, that love and devotion that is between a husband and a wife is reserved for your wife alone. It's reserved for your wife alone. It's interesting, I I just, reflecting on this, you know, back when uh, Mike Pence was vice president, he got a lot of of stuff thrown his way because he said he wouldn't be alone with, you know, by himself with another woman, right? Because Mike Pence is saying, I want to remain pure and true to my wife, and he was made fun of and thought he was like the laughing stock. Why would this man? That's so silly. That's so stupid. That's so backward. They couldn't see that what he's saying is is yes, I can I can love and have a, have a, have a right loving relationship and a working relationship with other women, but I want to have that special, uh, f- familiar, intimate devotion that's for my wife is is there and there alone. All right. So number three. Number three. How is the husband to accomplish this mission? That's his command. The command is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So how is it? Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So how is the husband to accomplish this mission? He is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands are to follow the example of Jesus Christ. He is our pattern. He is the the template. He is the exemplar. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and follow him as we love our wives. So what does it mean that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? I want to walk through a number of thoughts and scriptures to help us understand what is encapsulated in the idea that Christ loved his bride and gave himself up for her. And so just, just remember that for those of you who may not know, the church is the bride of Christ. Okay? The church is the bride of Christ. And so and so we're going to work through this together. How does Christ give himself up for the for the church? And I think certainly, certainly we know that he died for her, but I think there's more than that in the giving of himself. And we're going to make application as we go in each of these areas. So, number one, number one, Jesus or the eternal Son decided to get his bride. He decided to get his bride. Ephesians 1 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You see that? He chose us in him the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Holy Trinity, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. The first way is that He, he, he decided, along with the Father and the Spirit, the eternal son in their divine wisdom before, in, in, in what we might refer to as eternity pass decides that the eternal son is going to get a bride. He makes a decision. He makes a decision. And I want you young men who are thinking about marriage to realize that that's where it begins. It begins with a decision. And notice it says, according to the purpose of his will. A decision is what you will when you are willing. When you make a decision to be a husband, to get a bride, you are deciding to go from here all the way to the end. The eternal son knows exactly what he's getting into. And when he makes the decision to go after his bride, to rescue his bride, he's going to play this thing out all the way to the very end. And that's what you're in for as well. For those of you who are already married, let me remind you that you made a decision. You made a decision. You made a covenant before God and before witnesses that you would forever keep that covenant. You've made a decision. And so I want to encourage you, brother, husband, brother, husband, stick to your decision. Keep that decision. When you said, I do, you keep saying, I do. You keep saying, I will. Number two. Number two, he was sent for his bride. He was sent for his bride. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, sends his Son for a bride. The biblical pattern, really, in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the biblical pattern for, for marriage is that sons are sent. And, and, and girls are given, okay? A, a son is sent to go and, and find a bride. And, and we see this with, with our, our, our blessed Savior, Jesus. As he comes for his bride, he leaves heaven and he is sent to earth to claim a bride. Number three, he became incarnate for his bride, or he became flesh. John 1.1 1, 1 says this, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." He was in the beginning with God. all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it." In verse 14 it says, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Father, as, as the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth." Jesus became flesh. Brothers, husbands, your wife needs you to become flesh. I can remember one time sitting with my family and uh, having dinner and my phone was out and um, Linda was talking with Hayden or doing this or that. And I was there, you know, kind of, you know, scrolling along, doing my thing and, uh, you know, sort of, sort of halfway listening. And at some point, Linda said, honey, honey, We we need you. We need you here with us. You know, we need you here with us. Right? Jesus is the God who is with us. He is with us. He comes and He is a God who's not just a metaphorical abstraction, just a floating ooey eye spirit of some sort. He is the God who is with us in the flesh. And so husbands, one way that you can be with your husband uh, wife is to be incarnate, to be in the flesh, to be with her, to be with your families. Number four. So he was incarnate. And, and number four, he, he lived for his bride. He lived for his bride. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, as Paul tells the Philippians, what their attitude should be. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though in the form of God did not count equality with with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so Jesus himself comes. He is incarnate. He's in the flesh. He lives for his bride now as a servant. He is there serving, a servant leader, loving and leading and, 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 and suffering for her. We need to also not only know that we're in the flesh, but we live for our brides. We love them. We care for them and we live for them. Next, we see that Jesus also died for his bride. Jesus died for his bride. 1 John three sixteen. by this we know love. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that he laid down his life for us. He gave up his life And so husbands, what does it mean for you to love your bride? It means that you're willing to lay down your life for her. You're willing to give up stuff that you think is so important to you. You die to yourself. You die to yourself. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And who is your closest friend but your wife? Who is your closest friend but your wife? You are to lay down your life for her John 10 11, again Jesus says I am the Good Shepherd the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep he lays it down and notice this is a a voluntary act of the will right even Jesus says it's not taken from me uh, your wife is not there to to, to, to to demand that you do certain things no the godly husband in in loving his wife and giving himself for his wife lays his life down a voluntary action of the will I am willing to give up this to love you. I'm willing to stop that to, to love you. Um, I remember years ago when I, I just got married, um, the year before I was on a, 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 a tour with a, a singing group that I was a part of, and, and we would go and usually tour in Colorado, and, and, I was, uh, and then when we were there, we'd always usually take a day and go skiing. And I can remember going up there as a single man with my college buddies skiing and we would love to go off the trail where you're not supposed to go, off the trail, through the trees and do all this crazy stuff, you know, off this jump and do that. and do. Well, the next year that I was getting ready to go, I had now become married. And I'm getting ready to get on the bus to go on this tour and and my wife says, don't forget, you're married. (laughs) Boy, my best friend who was skiing with me was like, What is up with you? You used to jump off things and go through the trees and do this and do that and just take on all these kind of things. What happened was I had my little loving wife's voice in my head saying, don't forget, you're married, (laughs) okay? I had to give up some things. I had to act a different way because I was married. I had to lay down my life, and it it, it meant I had to give up some things, right? I, I needed to change the way I thought about my own life. This now, my, my life is not just for myself. No, my life is, is for my wife. My life is for my, my children to be or the children that I have now. My life is for the glory of God. And I can glorify God by laying it down, by laying my life down for my wife. Matthew 28, 28, 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man, Jesus talking, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers, your job as you give your wife, as you give up your life for your wife, your job is to, is to not be served, just like our, our Savior. Your job is not to be served, your job is to serve and to give your life as a ransom for for your wife. To give your life as a ransom for your children. Number six, he was raised for his bride. He was raised for his bride. Romans 8. 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus Christ came for his wife. Jesus Christ lived for his wife. Jesus Christ died for his wife and then was raised for his beautiful bride. And so how does this apply to us? The, the The reality is here is that is that we live with resurrection power. Right? We follow a risen Savior, and we also will be raised. And that resurrection power that is within Christ is within us. And so the way I want to apply this to husbands is there are times when when you're going to be burdened by all sorts of things. You're going to be down. You're going to be struggling. You're going to be hurting. And guess what? You can look to Christ and say, wait a minute. Jesus died and has been resurrected on my behalf. I can get up as well. Because of his resurrection, I can stand up again. I can face the challenges that I'm facing. I can love this wife that you have given me. I can go to my job. I can provide for my family. I can do all that you've called me to do because Jesus Christ, you were raised for me. And now I will stand up and continue walking as well. Number seven, he intercedes for her. He intercedes for her. We read this earlier, Romans eight thirty Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And the us is his bride, right? Jesus is living for us. Even now, he is interceding for us. And so, so Christian, husband, brother, husband, you also should intercede for your wife. As Jesus intercedes for his bride, you intercede on her behalf. You go before the Lord. You you wear out those knees praying for your wife, pleading for your wife. Is she not a believer? Go to God and pray that God would open her eyes to the truth of the gospel. Is she struggling or is she embittered toward you? Go to God and ask him to, to soften her heart that she may love you as she ought. Is she not being submitted? Is she being uh, uh, rebellious in some way? You go to God and ask that God would help her and strengthen her. You go to God and ask her to fill her with great joy to know the joy of her salvation. When you leave in the morning, Monday morning, here's your I'm giving an assignment right now and I'll ask your wife if you did it next Sunday, okay? So here's your job, okay? I know most of us have. Uh, I, I pray that most of us have an, an evening prayer routine, which which we have in our house, and I, I pray that you would do the same as well. Is we pray together every night before we go to bed, my 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 wife, my, my son, and myself, we pray, and we have a we have a little routine that we go through, and we pray together every night. And Dad leads in that prayer. But I also would encourage you, as you send your wife or as you as you leave the house, that you would you would grab a hold of that wife, right, and hug her and, and pray a blessing over her. God, thank you for this woman you give me. Help me to, to love her as I ought. Help me to die to myself. Help me to, to, be, to be joyful here in the home. You, you want to, when you're coming home, this is kind of my next point, I guess. I'm, I'm ahead of myself. But when you're coming home, we want, you want the kids to be saying, yay, dad is home, not, oh, dad is home. Fun's over now, right? No, dad's home. What a joy. He walks through. He's tired, yes, but he's got a smile on his face because he's home. He's where he belongs. Number eight, a little bit of what I said already. He is coming back for his bride. John 14, 3, Jesus says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. How does this apply to a husband? Jesus, we know, has, has left he has left earth. He is in heaven with his Father, waiting for the day that he will come back and get his bride. He says, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, my beautiful bride, that where I am, you may be also. Here's how I apply this. Every day, most men, unless you're working at home, of course, but most of us will, will go to work and we will drive off, and uh, off we go. We leave our brides at home, and we are separated for a time. And I will tell you the truth, there have been times in my life, and probably if you're honest, there are times in your life when you've been driving away and thinking, I could just keep, I could just keep driving. I could just keep driving. This life is hard, you know? I could just keep driving. That was a tough night last night. We said some things, we did this or that or I just or you know what? It's just it's just all this work, all these demands, all this stuff, all these kids. I can just keep driving. I can just keep driving. I am telling you what that is is that's just one of those alpha male fantasies, right? Like all the movies, an alpha male fantasy. What is that? That's all the movies where the guy, the lone guy, right? The lone guy. He's not married, he doesn't have kids. He comes into town, he does his thing, then he gets on his horse, or he gets on his Harley, or he gets in his Honda, right, and off he goes and drives off into the sunset, never to be seen again, right? But no, that's not your fantasy, that's not your dream. Our vision is the one that is given to us by Christ. He goes away to, to do something, to, to intercede for the bride, to help the bride, to pray for the bride, to strengthen the bride. And then, guess what? He comes back. He does not forget his bride. He always comes back to get her. And so, brothers, when you leave in the morning and you're heading off to work, remember that. I'm going to work. I'm going to work for her to help my children, to to bless them, to strengthen them. But guess what? I am turning around and I'm coming back home. I'm coming back home. I have not forgotten my bride. All right, so those are, those are ways that... that was, that's, point, that's all under point three. There probably wasn't enough room in your notes there. But number four. Number four, what is the result of accomplishing his mission? Let's read our passage again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy And without blemish. All that encompasses Christ giving himself for his bride comes to fruition here. He decided, he was sent, he became incarnate, he lived, he died, he was raised, he intercedes, he's not forgotten her, and he will come to get her again. And all of this is for what purpose? Paul gives it here in three clauses. He says that he might sanctify her, that he might present uh, to himself a glorious church or a glorious bride, and that she might be holy and without blame. Really, in that passage, I want you to look at that later this week, you really have in that passage justification, sanctification, and glorification are all in that little section of scripture as it describes what Christ is doing for his church. What Christ is doing for his church You see, Christ loved the church not because it was perfectly lovable, but in order to make it such. What this passage teaches is this the the principle is, is, is this love bestows loveliness. Love bestows loveliness. Christ claims his bride, and he doesn't claim her and get her when she is lovely when she is beautiful, when she is pure, when she is holy, when she is sinless. When Jesus finds his bride, she is just the opposite. We encompass the bride of Christ. Sinners, we say it every single Sunday, don't we? We're sinners, saved by the grace of Christ. And so Jesus here shows what he does for his bride. He's going to sanctify her through the washing of water with the word. Uh, he's gonna love her. He's gonna, he's gonna bestow love upon her, and, and 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 through that process, she becomes lovely. Christ loved the church fully, completely, profoundly, deeply, sacrificially, in spite of her flaws. And in the end, she is sanctified, pure, and glorious. Listen to what Doug Wilson says in his book, Reforming Marriage, which I would suggest uh, all of you read. He says this: "Men are to love their wives as Christ loved his wife, self-sacrificially. They are to do so knowing that love, scripturally understood, is not a sentiment or emotion, but rather a series of actions which transform." You hear me? Love? Love is not a sentiment or emotion. But rather a series of actions which transform. Biblical love is efficacious. It means it has effect. Men are to love their wives, knowing that this is going to have an effect in the realm of the spirit. As a wife cultivates a gentle and quiet spirit, she becomes increasingly beautiful. He treats her in the way of Christ in all things, both great and little. She grows in beauty, and this beauty is alluring to her husband, but it's not the same thing as the infatuation they both felt when they first got together. It cannot be. It is far more mature than this. It must, therefore, not be confused with a romantic love. It is far better. It is far better. And I can testify as one who's been married almost 38 years that an that, that that ongoing loving, self-sacrificial love through the thick and thin, through the ups and downs, through the trials and the sufferings is far better than that first puppy love or first infatuation, right? Those thrills. Yes, we still have those thrills. Uh, Yes, I did find my thrill. I didn't find her on Blueberry Hill, though. I found her in Oklahoma City, right? And And so, yes, there is those thrilling moments, right? But we can't live there. We can't live there. We live in a deep, joyous, contentment, a deep, joyous contentment. And so the thing I'm going to tell to you, brothers, the question is this. Do you want to have a glorious wife? Do you want to have a lovely wife? Then love her. Then love her. As you love your wife, she will become lovely. As you love your wife, she will become lovely. Lovely. And I can remember this thinking back when I'd been married five years. Uh, I remember thinking back to, you know, the day that I said I do, I love my wife. Yes, I did, right? I had, I had just turned 20, okay? And there's a few gasps. <gasps> oh, so young. Yes, I just, I didn't know much. I was young and dumb, for sure. I was a believer, though, and I was a young man full of the Spirit. I didn't know what I was in for. But I, but, I, but I looked, and I, and I thought, I, I love her, yes, and I, I will commit to her, and I'm making this covenant before God. And then five years later, I look back at, at when I said I do and thought, I didn't love her. I didn't even know. I didn't love her then. I love her now. Now I really love her. Five years in, right? Ten years in, you're like, okay, now I really love her, all right? Fifteen years, okay, I didn't know nothing. You know, now I really love her, right? I hope she says the same thing about me, but... but uh, <laughs> But yes, right? We grow, and it's a deep, profound contentment, a deep joy that will see you through those sufferings and those challenges, and those challenges. So our fifth question, here's the bonus. Oh, my goodness, look at the time. All right, fifth question, here we go. Here's a bon- the bonus question. What does it mean for a husband to love his wife as his own body? Okay, what does it mean for a husband to love his wife as his own body? Verse 28 says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherish, cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. All right, for us to understand this, we need to understand the concept of inescapable headship. And Kenny taught on this a few weeks ago. Uh, Ephesians 5:22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Notice, it doesn't say the husband should be the head. The husband is the head. That is a that's an indicative. It's a statement of fact. The husband is the head. If you are married, whether you're a bad head or a good head, you're the head. Okay. If you're a woman looking for a husband. You have to ask yourself: Do I want this man to be my head? Because when you say I do, he is your head. He is your head. Even if you reject that doctrine, if you're an atheist out there, two atheists getting married, guess what? That woman, that woman's husband is his head. Period. That's the way Christ has set it up from the beginning. It is. It is just. The, it's. 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 It's just as real as gravity. Okay. So, this brings to the. The idea of inescapable headship. And here's it's a terrifying doctrine for men because you're the head, which means what? You're responsible. You're responsible. Okay, you are responsible. You're responsible for your wife. You're responsible for your children. You are the head. And as the two become one flesh, now she is part of you're the head, who's the body? Your wife is the body. In the same way that Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. We all agree with that, right? Who is Christ's body? We are. We are. Christ is the head. His bride is the body. The husband is the head. His wife is the body. And so what does he say? He says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, in the same way that Jesus Loves his body. You see that? Husband, love your body. <laughs> I'm <pointing at> Linda. <laughs> Husband, love your bride as Christ loves his bride. Husband, love your body as Christ loves his body. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Right? Unless something's desperately wrong with you and you're deranged in some way, you get up in the morning. And you don't look in the you know, mirror and say, yeah, you know, not brushing the teeth today. That's highly overrated. <laughs> it's been three or four weeks, you know, and I'm still not brushing them because, no, you take care of your body. You know what? I'm not planning. Unless you're doing some spiritual fast, most of us eat, right? And most of us eat well and we drink water. We take care of ourselves. We put on clothes. We treat ourselves nicely. And that's what Paul is saying here. No one ever hated his own flesh. Husbands, you don't hate your own flesh, but you nourish and cherish it just as Christ does his body. So brothers, husbands, we are to do what? As we love our bodies who are our brides, we are to nourish and cherish them just as Christ does the church because we are members of His body. Well, in conclusion, some of you may hear this sermon, young men who are single or boys, and think, man, then who should be married? That's a lot. I mean, is it worth it? Is it worth it? That's a lot to deal with. Is it worth it? And I would say that we should ask that of Jesus Christ. Was it worth it? Was it worth it to leave heaven, to come to earth, to put on flesh, to live a sinless life, to die a cruel death, to take our sin upon himself, that he may be raised for the justification of his his beautiful bride and to be presented to himself, to bring that bride to himself, To glorify him for all eternity. I think Jesus Christ would say over and over again yes, it's all worth it. And, brothers, I want to tell you who are single, it's worth it. It's all worth it. It's worth the joy, it's worth the tears, it's worth the suffering, it's worth the challenges, it's worth the arguments, it's worth it all. It's worth it all to give ourselves, to give ourselves for our wives so that they may be made glorious and lovely by our self-sacrificial love for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, it's a great day that we've had here at Redeemed. Lord, you are a great God. Lord, again we pray and ask that you would strengthen us to do your will. Help us as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, we pray for our wives that they would also submit to the loving leadership of their husbands. May we know that, that what is primary in our hearts for each family is the glory of God, not our domestic happiness. But well, as we've said already, we know that, Lord, Lord, the greatest joy we have is in glorifying you. And so as we glorify you, we will be supremely happy, supremely happy in our homes, supremely happy in our marriages. And as husbands, we'll be supremely happy as heads of our households. Help us in this, this sober but joyful task. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.